0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, it's me, Lucy, opinion editor at HuffPost UK, and welcome to Chronic, the podcast that asks what health and well-being look like when you're chronically unwell. Joining me today are two incredible women who use the power of social media to highlight a condition that we've all heard of but few really understand. Chloe Elliott aka Chloe in Curve is a plus-size fashion blogger whose life was dramatically changed when she was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis seven years ago. Chloe welcome. Hello thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. And Chloe isn't our only guest today, which is very exciting. We've got a special bumper episode planned. We're also here with someone I've followed for quite some time. Sukjean Kaur runs the Instagram account Chronically Brown that creates space for invisible illness in South Asian communities, which she set up after a rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis just two years ago. Hello, Sukjean. Hi, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, so let's just get this myth busted once and for all, straight out the bat. How old are you both? I'm 30. I'm 22. Because there are 10 million people living with arthritis in the UK, and the assumption is all of them are over 60. <laughs> Chloe, let's go to you first. I think when you were first diagnosed, you were just as clueless about the age assumption, weren't you?
2: Yeah, I am um, I had absolutely no idea that you could be a young person with a condition. Um I was 23 when I was diagnosed. So you know when the rheumatologist said to me, I'm pretty sure you have psoriatic arthritis. I practically laughed. I'm sure I don't have arthritis I think the rheumatologist has gone mad there's no way that I've got this I'm not 70 years old and I said no we're having a second opinion and you know something's wrong and I was certain that I'd you know google doctored myself and was certain that I had fibromyalgia I was I was certain and obviously because I have psoriasis it pairs with the arthritis and then I was you know over the years I've I know it now. I definitely do have it. (laughs) I've gotten over it now. And uh, it's not just reserved for the over 60s.
1: Yeah, because we're so used to hearing about osteoarthritis, which is a sort of degenerative condition that occurs when your joints start to wear out. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So Sukjeen, you have autoimmune arthritis. Tell us a little bit about how that's different.
0: So it's, it's rheumatoid arthritis, uh, which is an autoimmune condition. It's basically meaning my immune system is overactive and that's mistaken my joints as something is wrong and it attacks my joints instead. They get really swollen and hot. Yeah, and it means that I take immunosuppressants, so I take two different kinds. feel ill all the time because of them. I've even, well, got one tonight today and I'm dreading it every week.
2: Can I just ask? Do you inject your medication? Yeah,
0: both of them.
1: Same. I feel you. It's tough.
0: Methotrexate, (laughs) tonight. Methotrexate.
1: Yeah, that's. Effectively, they're designed to suppress the immune system to help the body fight fighting itself. Yes, exactly.
2: It's, a, it's an interesting drug. It's one drug that they usually recommend to everyone when they are diagnosed with arthritis. They shove us all on methotrexate and kind of hope for the best. And they, they don't really fully explain to you, I feel, how tough a drug it's going to be to be on, um, because it can make you feel, as you said, like quite unwell and you kind of start dreading injecting what it. What are some
1: of the side effects
2: of the drug? Um. So I luckily don't inject it anymore But when I did, I had the pill form first So it was 10 little tablets every Monday I used to take And it was just intense sickness, vomiting, nausea, dizziness, hot flushes What do you get, Sookjean? Do you I get added get, on more of those? I get all of
0: them and I, I get headaches as well Yeah, The fatigue is so much worse after you've taken it as well I get the added disgusting phlegm on top yeah the phlegm in your throat every morning it's disgusting it it really you, you just have to get used to feeling ill every day
1: yeah yeah that sounds like a lot to come to terms with I had to go on a radical hormonal treatment that put me in the menopause and that was six months of really really intense side effects that you know the treatment is almost almost as difficult to deal with as the symptoms themselves especially with methotrexate that
2: they recommend to all of us it's such a tough drug to take especially when you've just been diagnosed because you're told all of a sudden by the way you have this condition and you've got to go on this drug hopefully it'll make you feel better I feel like we're not really prepared enough or you know I definitely wasn't told the full extent of these side effects of these medications before I started them. I don't know about you, Sookjean, but when I was first diagnosed, I was like, I'm going to be the one that goes into remission. And seven years on, I'm like, I'm probably not going to be the one that
0: goes into remission.
2: (laughs) And I feel like you
0: really have to get used to that thought. Yeah, I I definitely thought that, especially with the methotrexate, because I put so much pressure on it being gold standard I believe and that's why I've been on it for two years because I seem to think even after two years it's gonna put me into remission and now I'm starting to get to where what you just said is I'm not gonna probably be in remission the way I hoped. So just going back to the age question I want to understand how it feels to have a
1: condition that's so closely associated with old age. Does it affect the way you feel about your sense of self as a young person?
0: Yeah, definitely does. It it makes you feel like you're different from everyone else. Um, so I was diagnosed while I was at university. And I remember thinking, I've got the courage now to tell a university friend that this is my diagnosis. And like these are why the symptoms I was having for so long. And I, <laughs> she ended up laughing at me, which was quite upsetting and it put me off completely wanting to tell anyone. So it makes it harder to actually talk to people at university. The social part of it, I did lose completely. My my friends ended up not being the friends that I thought they were. They were just kind of interested in the drinking side of the university and I couldn't do that Or I was barely able to move and there was just no help from them even though I was living with my friends at the time. How long did you live like that for? About a year and then the next year I decided to live alone because I was like if I'm gonna be alone I'm gonna be alone alone. Um, At least then I don't have to feel like oh there's somebody next door to me and they don't want to talk to me because I'm like this. At least it's just me. Being
1: surrounded by the that amount of people with that pressure to go out and to drink and to have a really active social life. Was there fear for you associated with that or discomfort associated with that? How did you manage that?
0: I don't think I managed it very well. I I kind of just avoided it all completely. It was pretty much just FaceTiming my family and just keeping in contact, letting them know what's going on and Hopefully, keep my mind off the pain I was feeling as well. Yeah, that's
1: Uh, so tough. I mean, Chloe, that's so different to your experience, isn't it?
2: Very. I'd I have no idea how you coped, Sukchien. Like, (laughs) honestly, I have no idea. I I was diagnosed at twenty three. I'd lived by myself at the time, and I spent just over a month living by myself. And that was plenty you're a superwoman literally because i (laughs) don't know how you did it and the thing is though you shouldn't have had to be and it is really ableist to act like that and you know when you're living with someone with with a disability like that to not even you know be bothered to help and you know what it's sad but these conditions really make you realize who your friends are and the kind of people that you want to be friends with i was the same as you i was a you know in full-time employment at the time and had to leave work and i still keep in touch with maybe one one of you know my friends from from back then but all of them just the second I was out of there like heard that I had this weird you know oh arthritis what a weird diagnosis they were yeah. out of there was that
1: a, a more of a cutthroat industry than than others that you've encountered did you find that there was that empathy there for you and that that flexibility no, no. I had a
2: manager that didn't want to manage me couldn't manage me and I can remember sitting in a hospital appointment and she called me and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking I'm going to learn which medication that I'm going to be on. Like, it's quite a big deal. And I was sitting there and she called me and said, where's this sample? A shoe. And I was thinking, I can't believe that I'm having this conversation right now. I just at that point thought, like, what the hell do we do here? Because I, I like you, Sook-Jean, could barely lift my head from a pillow. I h- had to move back home and my mum and my family looked after me, and that's why I don't know how you did it. Because if I hadn't have done that, I literally was unable to look after myself, and I mean that in the most TMI way possible. I couldn't cook for myself. I couldn't. I couldn't dress myself. Um, I w- I remember. Um, I was in the same pajamas for a week, and I know that people listening might think, "Geez, that's so gross," but. <laughs> you cannot move like and I'm your joints are on fire and you they're so stiff and so sore and inflamed and red and and you your whole body hurts and the fatigue that goes through you is like no tiredness that I've ever experienced it's like debilitating draining tiredness that means that you cannot move and um yeah if I hadn't have been able to move home and I mean it was embarrassing for me to obviously admit to people that I had this condition and had to move home at 23 everyone was like you know you know why are you having to move home and I was like well I've got this very unsexy condition called arthritis And I still say that now. I'm like, well, it's not the sexiest thing to have. <laughs> but um, could be a bit more spicy, but it's not. It's just <laughs> not that. It's that.
1: <laughs> so I know at the beginning, though, you did hide your diagnosis for a long time. Um, yeah. What was the motivation behind that? So initially,
2: when I started to get unwell, you know, I knew that there was a problem. But I was so concerned about going to my GP because I had a strong suspicion that they would blame it on my weight or say that it was weight-related or pan me off and say, you know, it's your weight, lose some weight and come back. And I was so concerned about that that it took me months to go to the GP. And it was only when I was in debilitating agony that I went and the doctor prodded me a little bit and she said, what I think you should do is just imagine that the pain isn't there. And I was like... (laughs) okay so I went with that and was like okay you know maybe it's all in my head as this doctor imagines it to be it's nothing else it'll go away and I hid it from my colleagues for a long time as well because I felt that they would you know working in the fashion industry it's quite a bitchy industry and I had a feeling that they would all you know whisper and say I bet it's just her weight there's nothing wrong with her and what I would say to them is that I had fallen out of bed. And now that I think back to that, I think how how not, not believable was that, that I was repeatedly falling out of bed. <laughs> but I didn't know how else to like cover it because I was, I would, I remember sitting in my work chair and my friends who sat across from me would say, should we go and get tea or go and get lunch? And I would have to say to her, give me 10 minutes. And it wasn't because I was working. It was because I had to honestly try and get my shit together to stand up It only got to the point where it was completely unmanageable that I eventually went to the GP and, you know, I was faced with someone who said, imagine that the pain isn't there. So I feel like a lot of people, especially bigger people like myself, we are put off completely going to the doctors because of this bias that is within the medical industry. And it's happened to me since I had an ear infection and it was blamed on my weight. (laughs) Like,
1: How did they manage that? (laughs) How are they related? (laughs) Chloe, I'd actually love to hear how they've managed to put an ear infection on. Honestly, uh, some
2: GPs can connect anything to weight. And I feel like some of them have got this quota that they have to meet where it's like, bring up her weight, you know, because she clearly doesn't know that she's fat. I mean, I have no idea, clearly. Like, never been told
1: that before in my whole life. I mean, not only is that ridiculous, but it's also so dangerous. I mean... Those kind of attitudes, I can imagine it would really put you off going to the doctors if you think that not only is your problem not going to be taken seriously, but you're going to be shamed in the process. Exactly. And a lot of people on that uh, follow me on
2: Instagram have kind of shared that thought as well. The most important thing for me that, that that I'm able to do with the platform that I have is promote and encourage women to go to the doctor, even when, you know, you know that you might face some stigma so recently I had a conversation with my GP and I said I just want to push back on this because um, I'm concerned that you know you could be potentially misdiagnosing me because you're you're focusing on my weight and honestly she was silent and she maybe hadn't been challenged in that way before and that's what I would encourage anyone to do it is hard to stand up to these medical professionals these little biases that they have need to be broken down so the more that we push back on that although we shouldn't have to I think the more you know beneficial that it could be for us um and in the end I just thought if I don't do it now when am I going to do it and honestly I felt so empowered I was like yes I've told her that I'm not happy with what she's saying to me um And yeah, I I would always say if I felt that I was perhaps going to be misdiagnosed because of my weight, I'll always say, what else do you think that it is other than just weight related? And yeah, uh, I know that it's difficult and I've had this question so many times, like, how do you get to that point? But it's just, I feel like you have to. And it can be hard to say that to your doctor, but you know your own body, um, they don't so they might be the professional in the industry but you know how you're feeling within your own body I must
1: say I wish that's something I wish I'd known when I was first diagnosed when I was 24 that's something that I really have only just started to not even master but started to (laughs) work on you know as I as I approached my 30s so uh, I think that's great advice Sukjin is that something that you relate to is that something you are able to do with your doctor yet
0: yes and no I really have to force myself to properly because I'm usually thinking it like why are you saying this why why are you not giving me painkillers I'm thinking it and thinking it and I'm like forget it I'm I'll just say it and then they come up with some kind of excuse because they don't want to say oh it's probably because you're over exaggerating because that's not the reason. I'm not over-exaggerating. I know that's not the reason. But if that happens and I get that kind of excuse, I tend to give up and then I will come back again. I will be that that person that just keeps coming back until you listen to me. And they usually give up in the end.
1: <laughs> and Sukjin, I know one of the things you're very vocal about and that you advocate about is medical racism. And I think one thing I encountered on Chronically Brown was this concept of Mrs. Beebe or Begum syndrome. Can you tell us a bit about that and what those misconceptions are?
0: Yeah, so it was something new to me too, and there's not a lot out there about this. It's basically first-generation immigrants from anywhere in South Asia typically don't have English as their first language so it's probably a bit broken or they have a younger family member translating for them let's say they tend to not to believe their symptoms or believe that their physical symptoms are something to do with their mental health when really they have a a, a physical problem it ends up it's really unfortunate but it ends up being that they're misdiagnosed or their diagnosis is delayed so long that it ends tragically in this country. Essentially, it's this idea that if you're an older
1: Asian woman, you're seen as a bit of a hypochondriac by by medical professionals. And therefore your symptoms, even though they might might well be very real and very serious, aren't actually treated with the seriousness that they merit.
0: Yeah, the, the syndrome name actually came from health professionals as well. It's something from them. The worst thing I ever read was that it's not actually the people around us that are making this assumption. It's actually the professionals that we put our trust into <laughs> and it makes you want to not go back or trust them at all. It's crazy. Wow, that's, yeah, it's really, really shocking. Just talking about it should hopefully tackle the stigma around it as well. And
1: we talk a lot about misconceptions on this podcast, but Sookjean, last time we spoke, I think you probably had the longest list of unhelpful <laughs> solutions offered up to you by your extended family and friends. Can you go through some of those for us?
0: Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of herbal remedies. I've had turmeric and milk thrown at me. I've had oil that I had to just drink raw Um I did get told off a few times for not praying enough or I can't even remember all of them because there's so so many, and they still come to me with, Oh, I made this specific kind of oil, you should rub it on your joints, and it stinks Ugh, God. yeah, or the the misconception that i I'm young, so I'll grow out of it as well uh, I think maybe there there's an age limit on this maybe i don't know that is
2: like next level (laughs) problematic isn't it that assumption that you can grow out of a chronic and chronic being the main word here of a chronic illness
0: yeah they they were mainly older family members i won't lie that they tend to think that it's always something that i've done to myself it's not just something that happens i think that was the biggest thing i had to tackle that I had to actually believe that it wasn't my fault. Um, Because after a while, you do start to believe it yourself when people keep saying it to you. Um, Yeah, that was a really big issue.
1: So Sukhjin, I know that you ended up having to move home from uni. And that's because COVID really made it impossible for you to be there this year, didn't it?
0: Yeah, it was actually really scary. The amount of house parties and well flat parties there would have been um in the building while freshers was going on and they were drunk not wearing masks not social distancing they would crowd around the entrance of the building so I couldn't even get in for ages without going excuse me can you just step back excuse me can you move out of the way please that was the constant thing I was saying to people it felt like such a annoying person (laughs) it felt annoying it felt annoying to say it constantly as well um yeah so about three weeks in going back I decided I'll just take a leave of absence and just finish my last year next year in September it just seems that something is amiss there I mean like let a girl learn okay (laughs) literally
1: so Chloe you know that all too well you had to move back home a few years ago now and your mum was taking care of you have you got any tips for Sook Jean?
2: I think yeah it's just educating the people around you and hoping that they actually want to learn about your condition and then um, how to support you. And as a young person as well, that can be, that can be so strange. You know, I've got two older sisters and for them to have to like be the ones and my mum to have to look after me again at the age of 23 was very odd. You know, I have these little tells that my mum says that she knows when to like leave me alone if I'm feeling like sick or anything from the the side effects of the medication. Um, I'm lucky that I have an understanding family, and I I know that not everyone has that when they're diagnosed with conditions like this. Did your
1: family have any kind of misconceptions about your diagnosis or what it meant for you to have arthritis? Yeah, my dad just it's like whoosh, straight over his head does
2: not understand it. Regularly asks me what it's called again, and I remember when I've just been diagnosed, I could barely walk. I was on crutches. And I I'd supposed to have an interview the following week. And he said, what you could say is that you've just sprained your ankle. (laughs) And I was like, I think that they're going to know, Dad, in a couple of weeks when I still can't walk, that it wasn't just a sprained ankle, that it is, in fact, a condition that I'll likely have forever. My mum and my sister, they got straight online. Googled everything that they could, bought books. They were amazing. And still, my sister is the number one person if I need to moan to someone, because honestly... When you have a condition like this, you need the person that you can moan to about it. And she will just listen to me rant about my joints for hours on end if she has to. Um, And I swear, sometimes she knows more than I do. She'll be like, well, actually, if you
1: and it's because she's read all the books. That sounds so lovely that your sister is that person for you. And that support network is just so important. So Jean, I know you've had quite a different experience with your condition, haven't you? Did your family and extended family find your diagnosis difficult to come to terms with initially?
0: Definitely, definitely. My immediate family, it was kind of trying to convince them that the doctor is right, which was really weird to do. My dad will come back to me and say, oh, well, are you sure? Because you're so young. (laughs) And then it was, oh, no, it could be this or it could be that. You're going to have stomach problems you should stop that medication and then I'm like no I we'll would never do that without talking to a doctor first um yeah they almost like they 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 know better yeah than a health professional that's the the issue but my extended family were the biggest problem I, I mean they still have problems today also they didn't understand that I can't have spicy foods or I can't have dairy or I can't have gluten as much that was a big issue as well um It does take a lot of explaining and telling them, maybe look at this and understand why it is like this before they come to terms with it too. Mm. Is it common to to come across
1: that resistance to medical advice in South Asian communities?
0: Definitely. It's that mentality of what will they say. It comes from the fact that there's so much shame around illnesses that they can't talk about their illness, what it is, what their medications are, what symptoms they are. There's so many structures around it. So that means that as a brown disabled woman, that means you can no longer get married or have kids. That's just not an option now, which is crazy to think about. But it is just the shame around it. You can't be disabled in a way. There's so many people that have said to me that they've had to ignore symptoms and then made it worse for themselves. They can't use mobility aids or the people around them have taken medications off them. There have been some awful instances and abuse from in-laws or family members around them because they don't want to accept that this this person is now disabled. It's really, really rough.
1: I can imagine that also must take a toll on you hearing being exposed to those stories as well. So I know you're you're super invested in encouraging research into what chronic illness looks like for people of color. One thing that I think is really amazing that you've worked really hard on this year Sakjeen is the chronically brown Insta account because the memes and things <laughs> the the thing the memes that you find around chronic illness and specifically what chronic illness looks like in the South Asian community is just so funny. They're just, they're incredible. I don't know where you find them. I want, to, I want to get your tips on that. So I want to talk about that positivity and the importance of that positivity and laughing about that. Why was it important to you to set up Chronically Brown?
0: It was mainly the uh, representation. There was no representation of chronically ill South Asians at all. And so many people were coming up to me and telling me their stories that weren't necessarily positive And I completely understood where they were coming from and I, I knew why it was happening specifically in our community because th- they have this mentality of what will they say. But I always wanted to make sure that people knew that your illness isn't a bad thing, it's actually an amazing thing and almost bring a community together that there are people like you. We're not just saying, oh, they're, they're, you're not alone in this. There are actually people there that are exactly the same as you that have these specific illnesses and are living in the same situation as you because of their background as well. And it's become really positive. It's really amazing seeing all these friendships that have blossomed from such a negative situation to something that other people can relate to and are actually talking about and then thinking, oh, well, if they're dealing with this, then... I can deal with it kind of situation. It's really great to see, actually.
1: Yeah, it is amazing. And I love how you've inspired that real sense of community as well. And Chloe, I saw you nodding your head a lot during during that previous answer.
2: Yeah, I am um, I got really emotional there when you were talking Jane, because when you said that about how, you know, it's not something that you should be ashamed of, this condition, it's actually a good thing. Like I was like tearful thinking like I wish I'd had you back when I was first diagnosed. Like I wish I'd known who you were, because it's so important to hear those positive stories and i think like what you do with your platform is unbelievable um i even love how you like set out everyone's stories like <laughs> just looks amazing very aesthetically pleasing as well um <laughs> but yeah i hear i hear a lot from from people with chronic illnesses as well and a lot of us have the same stories a lot of the a lot of the same pitfalls and I think most of it is what you say as well Sukjane that it's focused around how much support you get from your support network you know they're called a support network for a reason um and I feel like it's as much education as we can get out there as possible which I don't know if you've seen Sukjane but versus arthritis the charity they're really working to like get out this whole you know um that it's not just a Little bit of arthritis. You know, our family members, older family members, when I was first diagnosed, were like, "Oh, you've just got a little bit of arthritis," and like, that's one one of the main stigmas that I'm trying to like work out, like get it out of of my mindset, because I end up saying that as well. I don't know if you do. You're like, "Oh, it's just my, it's just a bit of my arthritis," whereas really we need to be more vocal about exactly how we feel and exactly how our condition is affecting us. So, yeah, I think the more that we can use our platforms for that reason, the better. Yeah.
1: And I I noticed, Chloe, that you are you're quite into insta reality. You don't shy away from exposing those moments where you're wearing wearing your trackies and you're really in pain and you can't you're not functioning. How important is that? I know
2: that Instagram for a lot of people is like a getaway. It's like not real life. It's like somewhere to get away from. But then the more that I see images like that, you know, the picture perfect Instagram lifestyle, I feel a little bit shit about myself. And I just think like, that's not real life for me. So why would I portray that my life is perfect? You know, like I I posted, it was um, last year now, a photo. I was having a flare up and I had just made, I think it was like a casserole or something. And I took the dish out of the oven and my hands just couldn't hold it and I dropped it all over the floor and I went upstairs I had a cry and I took a picture of myself having a cry and I thought will this be empowering or will this be really depressing for people to look at and I thought I'm gonna upload it anyway and I had the nicest response because people were like I relate I understand like we have those days where you drop your casserole all over <laughs> the bloody floor and because your hands can't can't cope with it and um I think people appreciate that raw honesty over you know the picture perfect Instagram because my life isn't like that although I do fashion and beauty like I'm a human being as well with a chronic illness and I think it's important to raise as much awareness on that and show the realities of that condition um as much as possible yeah yeah
1: yeah we're coming to an end of this incredible chat ladies Uh, I know we could probably talk for another two hours if we wanted (laughs) (laughs) but before we go I want to ask you both a couple of quick fire questions so what is one thing you wish people knew about your condition
2: Uh, I'd say I wish that uh, people had told me that my condition would likely come with mental health issues as well as physical issues, because that's something that I definitely wasn't prepared prepared to 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 go through, and I hadn't really delved into before. So yeah, it came it came at me as a bit of a surprise. So definitely, um, uh, mental health issues uh, that can appear with chronic illnesses.
0: I think for me it would be that it it's not just pain in my joints, I also get headaches and I get hot flushes and my throat dries up every so often especially when I'm talking it really hurts and that I have to have medications that make things worse so so much worse than just joint pain wow okay and on to the next
1: question what would be your top tip to listeners going through the same thing
0: uh, I think knowing yourself learning yourself again it's really hard one to do but I know my time spending isolated for so long I had to learn about myself again and if you take that time to do that it will really help in your favour especially talking to mental health professionals that don't want to listen to you if you know yourself you can fight that a lot better
2: mine would be to establish your support network and to educate or to encourage them to educate themselves because really it really shouldn't be our job to but um to educate themselves on how
1: your condition affects you and how they can best support you and finally this is something we ask all of our guests i'd love to know what does it mean for you both now to live well
2: yeah that's that's quite a tough one but i think for me it's um Appreciating the good days and rolling with the bad. So I appreciate the good days that I have, and I'm thankful for them. But also know when to like take my time and go to bed early. Um, on on the days that I can and uh look after myself. Like that's that's as much as I can do.
0: I think living well for me, because it never was like this before. Living well for me is making sure I'm taking my medications on time and regularly if I need them, especially if it's pain relief, because I refuse to take pain relief until the very last minute. So living well would be taking the medication when I need it.
1: Really both, both really important points. I say this every week, but I, I've learned so much from this podcast. <laughs> Chloe and Sukjean, thank you so much, both of you for being here today. That was an absolutely fascinating conversation. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to find out more about arthritis, do head over to versusarthritis.com. You can also reach Sukashinecore at chronicallybrown.com and Chloe Elliott at Chloe